Hello, everyone. Welcome back into another episode of Fourth and Gold. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Let's bring our co-host here to talk about a huge upset city weekend for Minnesota. Uh, he's CBS Network's very own. He's former NFL player and former Minnesota Gopher standout himself. It's Brock Perrine. Brock, let's let's cut it up, man. How are you today? Floyd is home, Joey. Floyd is home where he belongs. It was a uh... It was a great win by expectation. Nobody was entering that game thinking this was going to be some 40-38 to point shootout or anything like that. And in typical Minnesota-Iowa fashion, it always comes with a little bit of controversy because they can never just play a normal game. You brought it up last week. And, uh, you know, for those of you listening to the pod, (laughs) forgive me, but those watching the video, I'm saying hello to you like this right now. It's basically kind of what's going on here right now. Um, yes, let's let's dive into it, and I'm going to open up the floor to you. Uh, Minnesota pulls it off, 12-10 victory over number 24, Iowa. Um, the Gophers definitely needed it, but definitely rocked uh, the Big Ten and also the top 25 rankings. Um, I mean, let's just keep it broad, and we'll go step-by-step. Step. You know, what is your biggest takeaway from this win uh, on the Minnesota side of the ball? Outside of the punt return, which we'll get to in a second, I, I feel even if you remove that, play from the game even if minnesota doesn't win this game the fact that they come in and the return of darius taylor who by iowa standards 70 yards rushing is a dang good day it is tough to run the ball against that team and for minnesota who the last time we saw them were struggling to run the ball against michigan can come in against iowa and get their young guy going again he 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 looks back in form there weren't any hesitancies by him uh to, to, to put up those kind of numbers on, I, I believe, 16 carries, that's a great deal. But even more impressive is Daniel Jackson cracking the 100 receiving yard mark. Him and Darius Taylor were the only players with receptions that game. They were, they were the only ones. Now, whatever that says about the offensive play calling, whatever that says about Ethan Kaliak Manis, who, as everyone saw who watched the game, has still has plenty of room to go. I, I would argue Daniel Jackson could have quite easily had 150 yards if, if some of those comebacks and, and deep out routes could have connected. The fact remains, you ran the ball against Iowa's defense, you threw the ball against Iowa's defense, and you can hang your hat on that, win, lose, or draw. But of course, they're happier that they got the win. Yeah, riding, uh, riding the coattails of a Dragon Kasich uh, four field goal day. Um, you know, Brock, I want to get into this with you. I just look, Before we get to the punt return, I just want to get to kind of a, a moment in the game. And as a former defensive back, I think you'd provide some great perspective. Um, obviously, you know, Minnesota gets down 10-3. Um, they, get, they get to 10-6, and then Tyler Newbin comes up with that fumble right there. Um, talk about that play. Talk about the player. And also just talk about what you think that kind of did to sort of galvanize Minnesota you know, to keep them in the game, but also, you know, give them the confidence to say, hey, we can come back, we can take the lead, and we can hold on and win it. For for Tyler Newbin, I, I go back to the Northwestern game, and on that very last, not the very last touchdown, not, not the one that Northwestern scored to win it in overtime, but the touchdown to tie it, Tyler Newbin took a gigantic risk. If he would have been where he was supposed to be, it likely would have been an incompletion, and they win the game. And I had the very next Minnesota game. I called Louisiana at Minnesota, and... Coach Fleckett and Coach Rossi, their defensive coordinator, went on and on about how he, he knows he's a likely first-round pick. He knows that is his defense. He has played more football out there than 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 anyone defensively, and how 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 disappointed he was in himself for letting his team down. 
And ever since then, he's just made big plays in big moments. His ability to blitz the A-gap from how deep he lines up, it is phenomenal. Even before that fumble, he got a big hit on the quarterback. And it, it, it's, it's, it's such a thing of beauty to see him line up back there so casual. And be, because I, I know DB mannerisms, I just watch him. I think, oh, he's definitely blitzing. And then I look at the quarterback, I say, he has no idea. Then I look at the center and the two guards, and I say, they have no idea. And it works every single time. Um, so when you look at Tyler Noob and you have a guy who can cover, a guy who can hit, and those two things can get you drafted. But when you can blitz also, teams are like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need you because you're not just going to be safety. Now you can be a nickel for us as well. Now you can come in 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 in, in some short yardage situations and even play 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 some linebacker if we need somebody to man up on a tight end or something. So he he just keeps showing his versatility and he keeps showing the ability to make a big play when his team needs it, man. And this DB unit has had their struggles. They've struggled mightily. I understand what Iowa's offensive situation was, but they made plays when they had to make them. And that is something that hasn't necessarily been the case. So proud of, of that DB room as well. And lastly, Maverick Baranowski, who has filled in for, for Cody Lindenberg this entire season, a freshman who is out there as, as the best linebacker on this field. Excited for him and excited for his future because, my God, will, will he be able to do anything he wants as, as a linebacker in the Big Ten? Yeah, incredibly well said, and, and and that play was just so huge because it flipped the field, put him in the red zone, and, and on a day when you're struggling uh, to put up points, let alone, you know, yards, when you're talking about, you know, the rushing game, I think the longest run of the day was 11 yards, you know what I mean? That was a workman's-like effort from Darius Taylor and Zach Evans. Um, you got to get what you can get when you can. So, Brock, let's do it. They get to 12-10. Uh, I believe it's about a minute 20 to go. Minnesota to punt. Uh, they kicked the ball to Cooper to Gene, which is actually really interesting because um, on one of our previous shows on our Wisconsin show, uh, Camp Randall Platoon, we were talking a little bit about, and we asked you on the show last week, who are some of the best pound-for-pound pound Big Ten players right now? And honestly, one of the votes, we got a vote for Cooper to Gene. Um, one, so wanted to throw his name into the hat, um, and he definitely fulfilled that. But... Um, a controversial call nonetheless. So, Brock, I want to get your perspective a little bit on it. I want to get your perspective on the rule. Uh, did you think that it was officiated correctly? And did the Minnesota Gophers maybe sneak away with one? Just a little bit there. I am fully aware that everything I'm about to say is naturally going to be seen as having a bias. But yes. when when you talk about sports on TV, as you know, TV, radio, whatever, you, you do have to be you, you have to look at it through an objective lens, right? Even if this is a show seen through a Minnesota lens, just as a competitor, you've looked through it. Okay, how can I talk about this objectively? So I went and looked at the rules, and I, I thought about it the entire flight home from New York yesterday. So bear with me. So for those who may have forgotten, like Joey said, game is on the line. You're punting it to maybe the most dangerous punt returner in all of football. And he points at the ball like a lot of return men do. The ball bounces. You point at the ball. Generally, you say Peter Peter or whatever your word is to get away from the ball. And he's doing a weird windmill motion with his left hand. The referee does not blow the whistle. Some Minnesota coverage guys start to slow down. He picks up the ball, 
jukes a bunch of people because that's what Cooper DeGene does, outruns a bunch of people because that's what Cooper DeGene does, and the stadium erupts in Iowa City because they're thinking, we just won this game. The refs have a meeting. It is decided that he called a fair catch. Post-game, now, now obviously the boos rain down and Minnesota wins the game, and like every uh, battle for Floyd, here's another controversial ending to a game. What the rule is, is the referee is always going to err on the side of calling a fair catch. He Mm. did that windmill motion thing with his left hand. His defense was, I always call fair catch with my right hand. That is true. But the referee does not know that. And what people have to realize, the, the same way that the targeting rule usually is called to the dismay of the person making the hit it's actually to protect them they don't want guys lowering their head and exposing the 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 vulnerabilities of their neck because at that angle with the crown of your head down you can really hurt yourself it's really to protect the person making the hit so on a fair catch signal they're gonna err on the side of it being called to protect the returner because the last thing they want is, uh, I don't think he called a fair catch. I'm going to let this play. The returner thinks he called a fair catch. And then some guy with a 40 yard head start just smokes him. Right? So it's, it's, it's to protect the returner. So should the ref have blown the whistle? Some are saying he did blow a whistle, but it was faint. Then he let the play on. That will always be some, That'll just add to, to the lore. lore of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That'll just add to, to, to the lore of it. But yeah. the fact that guys snap back into action means that they didn't hear a whistle either. The, the, uh, the, the Minnesota players, right? Also, generally speaking, as a return man, and it, it feels weird critiquing Cooper because he's the best return man. He'll be returning punts in the NFL a year from now and doing really good, good job at it. As a return man, when it's Peter Peter... You either wave both of your hands like you're um, uh, like you are working on the tarmac and you're directing an airplane toward you, right? You, you you make it very demonstrative, both hands waving, get away from the ball. Or what a lot of guys do, they use both fingers to point at the ball because if I'm blocking and I hear Peter Peter, I'm naturally gonna turn and look for the ball. What I often see before the ball is my return man. I look to my return man, and he will point toward the ball so that the guys know, get away from it. This is where the ball is. If you're headed toward it, go the other direction. Cooper pointed with one hand, but the other hand was doing the windmill thing. He had he didn't do that, so the referees are going to err on the side of that being a fair catch call, again, to protect him. And for the people upset about well, they went back, they look at it, is it a review, is it not a review, yada, yada. Yeah, the refs did a bad job. They did. Mm-hmm. But if we are talking black and white, objective, what the rule states, it is the right decision to call it off. Be mad at the rule, not at the refs for enforcing it. Rant over. <laughs> I think, well, look, that was a great explanation. I think part of the confusion, obviously, was you're totally correct the way that the refs handled it right because i think after the Terrible. score and you see the official review you start looking at three plays and you're like all right this dude's in bounds 
Yeah. Um, so what are we looking at? What's going on? And then you have to roll it back that five or 10 yards before he even touches the ball to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the other part about it too, Brock, is that, yeah, they're, uh, what do we call it? Mixed messaging um, for Cooper DeGene on that particular mm-hmm. play. He's pointing. And then my other part too is that typically, you know, you'll also see with the fair catch, you'll see it go over the head. Yes. You'll see, and that's obviously when the ball's in the air um, coming towards the person who's trying to possess the ball. And, and I, my part for you is it doesn't matter, right, how high that is, right? Because Cooper kind of gave you one of those chest-high fair catches. If it was maybe a little bit higher up over his shoulder, then it's it's easy. This is an easy call yes. for everyone to make. But it also kind of looked like he, he runs that way. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? So and that's he, where you get into that gray area a little yeah. bit. And I think that's where yeah. you have both sides can now be like, well, they went this way. And then I was like, oh, well, we got screwed. He was indecisive as well, and I, I never returned punts in college or the NFL, but I was always on punt return team, and what happens before every single punt, the referee who's back there with the returner approaches the return man and says, hey, make it clear for me, or he, 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 mm. makes, he, he makes contact with him, whether it's by a look or, or says something to him, there's always communication of, hey... I'm here to help you. I, I, I don't want you to get hurt out here. If it's a fair catch, wave it nice and high. And Cooper looked indecisive in regards to what, what he wanted to do. He, he a, a, Another thing to factor into is th- this was the last punt of the game, right? We're in the fourth quarter. There were a lot of punts in this game. <laughs> so a referee is going to get a feel for how that return man calls fair catch as well. Th- that's that's mm. something that's being overlooked, right? Minnesota punted the ball a million times. So he says, okay, when number three calls a fair catch, what are his mannerisms? What are his tendencies, right? Like he starts to get a feel for it as well. And because Cooper did a weird windmill thing that he hadn't done before, that goes back to the basic principle of it's my job to protect that return man. So we're going to call it a fair catch. Did he blow the whistle? Did he not blow the whistle? Did he try to blow the whistle? Did he think he blew the whistle, but no air. That's where you get caught up in. We will never know. We'll never know because we weren't out there and we're not that referee. They handled it poorly. uh, The, the, the referees, but I do feel there are things Cooper could have done clearer. And, that left hand windmill thing will will just haunt Iowa fans until they get a crack in in 364 days. Yeah, and I think the phrase that you that you said that I think puts it best is when you're looking at it from the officiating side, whether you like it or not. And I agree with you. I don't think they handled it very well. But when you talk about air on the side of caution, yeah, um, I think that is that is the reason and um, that is the rationale as to why that call was made. And and Minnesota benefits from it, and yeah. they get a huge upset and they get to move forward. So. So, Brock, really quick, before we talk about some general um, college football, um, this next upcoming slate for Minnesota, opportunity knocks, my friend. Um, We've got Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue the next three weeks. Um, Michigan State is in shambles right now. So maybe instead of typically we'll do like a keys to a victory versus Michigan State, what do you think the keys are going to be to this next three-game stretch? Because now with Minnesota at four and three, Bowl eligibility is looking pretty good right now. Um, if you get if you pick up those next three games and have a four game winning streak, I mean, all of a sudden now you're you're back in the Big Ten West mix. 
um, especially with an Ohio taking a loss. So, so what are the keys to this next three game stretch of honestly, in my opinion, some pretty winnable games? What say you? Definitely, it's going to come down to Darius Taylor remaining healthy mm. and establishing establishing some easy wins for Ethan and Kaliak Manis. They're gonna every team that they face is just gonna load the box. Are they capable of stopping Darius Taylor in this Minnesota offense? That remains to be seen. Michigan State, the answer is looking like no. Illinois has a great defensive front. Have they shown up every week? Absolutely not. But if the defensive front that showed up against Maryland shows up, Minnesota mm-hmm. may have a tough time running the ball. But that team hasn't shown up for 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 Illinois constantly. And Purdue is. Purdue gets beat by throwing the football. Teams that really give it to it, like Wisconsin ran the ball well, but it was their athletic quarterback and and, and throwing the ball late that really separated them. Uh, We saw what Ohio State and Marvin Harrison Jr. did to them. Teams that really take it to Purdue take advantage of their defensive backfield. Minnesota has not shown the ability to do that. So it's it's easy wins. It's just getting Ethan comfortable. Are are you going to see tremendous growth from him between now and the end of the season? I don't know. It's 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 the 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 biggest growth usually comes from week two to week six or seven. Then it's kind of okay. How good are we? Let let's let let's take it from here. Practices start to get dialed back. Things become become more mental because at at, at that point it's we're banged up. We're not going to be out there all day. Practices are ninety minutes, and we're getting out of here, right? So it's about keeping Ethan comfortable. Keeping him confident, but the emergence of Dar- the reemergence of Darius Taylor is is going to be a huge deal. I mean, you have to have a little balance, right, on both sides of the ball. And I think they got the running game. We're feeling pretty good at that area. You're right. If Taylor stays healthy, you got, do have Zach Evans that you can get in the mix. But Cali Manis moving forward is going to be that next step to obviously pick up some victories and and make this really interesting in the second half of the season. And it's sitting right there uh, in front of them thanks to this big win over Iowa. So. Uh, let's keep it in the Big Ten. Uh, we previewed it last week on the show. Uh, I just want to get your reaction a little bit to Penn State, Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna. Um, my first blush is just you know Ohio State's defense is for real. Um, yeah. And 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 what can else? What else can we say possibly about Marvin Harrison? What was your big takeaway uh, from that victory for Ohio State? I compare Ohio State's defense to uh, the current state of the Kansas City Chiefs. Stick with me. The Kansas City Chiefs are a defensively-led football team. Is it fine to be a defensively-led football team? Yep. Can defensively-led football teams win championships? They often do. Is it, weird yeah. to see, is it weird to see Patrick Mahomes on a defensively-led football team? Yes. That's why the Chiefs feel weird. Even after the monster game that they just had against the Chargers, every game before that, there's always been this, okay, something's up with the Chiefs. That's all it is. It's just the fact that they're defensively led. So you take it to Ohio State, who in the Jim Trestle era, you you could argue they were defensively led at times. But in recent years, it's been an offensively led football team. They're defensively led now. Can defensively led football teams win games? Yeah, because Ohio State right now has the best resume of any college football team. Can defensively led football teams uh, when, when, when championships, can they win the Big Ten? Can they do a thing? Yes, it's just weird to see Ohio State as one. Um, so once we accept that this defense is really good and stood toe to toe with who I felt was the best defense in, in in Penn State, um, 
it was so fun to watch. If, if you were there looking for a high-flying game, I'm sorry. I hope Marvin Harrison Jr. got you your uh, fix. He, he is so incredible. Um, Ohio State is going to be fine. And barring any kind of major upset, it should come down to the big game yet again. As far as Penn State, I, I feel for their fans because ever since the Rose Bowl game last year, I, I, I remember – Leaving the Rose Bowl game thinking Penn State's going to get Michigan or Ohio State next year, and I cannot wait to see it. And it's just not there. It, it, it's 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 just not there. I, I I wish I knew what to tell fans. I wish I knew what to tell James Franklin. I wish I knew what to tell that team. That defense deserves better. I don't put a ton of that game on Drew Aller. That play, the offensive play calling was mind blowingly ridiculous. They were trying to be cute, um, and it didn't work. It didn't work. I, I I feel the offensive play calling let them down. They're going to get another crack at it. They're not necessarily in control of their own destiny. But if you beat Michigan, then maybe something crazy happens during the big game and you get back in, 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 in some three-way tie. But it's unfortunate for Penn State, but Ohio State came to play. Penn State didn't gave, give that game away. Ohio State's defense took that game. Um, I got another one for you real quick before we get out of here. But just real fast to the point that you made. Um, I want to get your perspective on this. When offensive play calling gets too cute, I often can't figure out whether it is, and forgive me, sometimes the arrogance of the play caller thinking that, hey, I'm the genius that's going to surprise you. I also sometimes feel like that getting too cute also plays to um, this weird lack of confidence of we can't quite stack up to our opponents, so we have to try and trick them. If you have to trick them, you can't beat them is one of the famous, you know, it's a famous football Mm -hmm. phrase. So, like, where do you kind of land on that sometimes? Yeah. Um, when you see that from offensive play calling. God, that is such a good question. We we could go two hours just on this question. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I call it, we've made a lot of NFL references uh, today, and we may as well finish with one. I call it the Sean McVay problem. So mm. there was, so when Sean McVay took over the Rams and turned it around rather quickly, what was everyone talking about? Oh, man, he is a genius. This is a guy who grew up in a football household. He knows the game. He's such a young. He was, what, 33 when he was a head coach. This guy is a wizard offensively. And what did every NFL team do? They wanted to find their wizard, right? Green Bay found theirs. Um, uh, San Francisco hired Shanahan from Atlanta. Kevin O'Connell, Minnesota. Kevin O'Connell at Minnesota. Everybody wanted to find their 36-year-old wizard who's a step ahead of the game and and be a genius. Well, college follows that as well from a play-calling standpoint. Everybody wants – okay, coaches have egos too. I get it. But at the end of the day, if my guys want to have belief – I need to show them that I believe in them. Now, am I saying never throw a flea flicker in there? Of course. Am, am I saying ne- never get funky with it? Of course not. But if you watch Sunday Night Football, anybody listening, if you watched Miami at Philadelphia, the Dolphins have to be cute because they're not a physically forward team. They lead with speed. So Mike McDaniel has to get cute to counteract the physicality. But the Philadelphia Eagles are the exact opposite. There's nothing cute about them. They just punch you in the face. They're going to do a tush push for five yards, which they did five times in a row. There's nothing. Cute will always lose against toughness. Fletcher Cox, 
and Jalen Carter are just living in the backfield because while you're sending a guy in motion, faking there, faking there, turning around, throwing it that way, it's too late. There's already a guy in your lap. So I I feel the Ohio State-Penn State game and the Miami-Philadelphia game are a perfect metaphor for the current state of offensive football right now. You can't out-cute a team that just wants to punch you in the face. It doesn't work. And Penn State will have a hard time explaining to their guys who to to to, to wrap up this point. It empowers your play. How look when when the whole stadium knows that someone just got tackled on 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 third and one and they're short of the line again. When the whole stadium in Lincoln Financial Field knows that the tush push is coming, both sidelines, the whole world knows, and they line up in it anyway, and it works. You can you can tangibly feel uh, the, the the empowerment of the Philadelphia players, right? Like yeah. e- even from your couch, you can feel that confidence of there is nothing they can do to stop this, and that's how you have to empower your players. When it's third and short, and I, I believe Penn State ran a, a, a double pass to the boundary, it's, it's 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 ridiculous. Not only does it not work, you go to the sideline as a player thinking, why can't we just hand it off to our running back? Like, does he does does he not believe in our offensive line? Does he not believe like wh- why 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 can't we just run the plays that we normally run? Um, I really hope that the next time we see Penn State in a third and short situation, they just hand off the ball because you got to start getting trust back of of your offensive playmakers. And when uh, that's such a great way, empowering your players. And I always think about that when we get into play calling and what type of play calling and what situation. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. the way that you go about it can help empower your players to exert their will or sometimes it doesn't. Um, We're going to get out, get you out of here on this. Uh, Brock, I woke up this morning and guess what's going on in Vegas right now? Uh, The Michigan Wolverines are now the betting favorite to win the national title at plus 280. Um, Georgia, obviously, the last couple of weeks of performances kind of maybe a little sluggish. The Brock Bauer situation, we'll yeah. see what happens. But now the Michigan Wolverines, plus 280. Uh, the betting favorites right now to win the national title. And J.J. McCarthy is plus 290. The betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So let's keep it simple. Uh, maybe do a little ESPN. Buy or sell uh, the Michigan Wolverines right now is the betting favorite to win the national title. I'm buying all of it because while Brock Bowers is the best player in college football, that high ankle is just the worst place to be hurt, man. And even if he comes back, he's not going to be a hundred percent. Now, I'll take seventy percent of Brock Bowers. Don't, don't do not get me wrong. Um, but he is their lifeblood, and Michigan has the safeties who are capable of covering him. Nobody can cover him, and I'm not saying they're going to stop him. I, I'm, I'm being very selective with my words here. They're not stopping him, but he's not having his 100-yard, two-touchdown day against Michigan. Uh, Makari Page could handle him. Not stop him. (laughs) Not stop him. But he could handle him. I like Michigan to win the championship. I'm not a gambling person. I told people two weeks ago, put your money on J.J. McCarthy. Because what people will realize, yes, we've been spoiled by Caleb Williams. Because he's part Patrick Mahomes, part Aaron Rodgers, part Brett Favre. What J.J. McCarthy is, is he just makes the right play all the time. And as some of the higher-ranked matchups start to come, and Caleb Williams is out of the race now, Jordan Travis at Florida State is up there as well, but he just lost his second-best wide receiver. 
he's going to have a tough go and the ACC is no joke. People are going to look up in December and realize, you know what? JJ may not be the most exciting player to watch, but he is the most efficient. He's even, yeah. He's he's the most efficient offensive player. Um, like K- Caleb Williams is the most exciting offensive player. Brock Bowers is the most dominant offensive player. JJ McCarthy is the most efficient. And we're gonna look up in December and realize this team is undefeated, and this guy has like five incompletions all year. They're they're gonna give it to him. Yeah. The Gophers beat Iowa 12 to 10. They're over 500. They're back in the Big Ten Conference race. They got a great schedule coming up. Hey, this is a great week to be a Minnesota Gophers fan. So thank you so much for tuning in to Fourth and Gold right here. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Uh, with our host here, CBS Network's very own former Minnesota Gopher, Brock Vereen. Uh, Brock, man, great to see you. Great show. And it looks like we're going to have a lot more great episodes coming up, too, as well uh, with this Gophers team over the next three weeks. So hopefully everyone comes back to check out the episodes. Uh, Great to see you, man. Take us home on a good episode.